so I want to start with um, just a little story, something that happened in my life. Uh, I don't know, something like 15-ish years ago. It was back when uh, my family was living in Lansing, so this was before I joined the staff at Ada Bible Church. And uh, my wife and I, we were driving down the road pretty fast because we were headed to the hospital because she was in labor. And so she was about to give birth to our second child. And uh, we had been through this before with the first one, so we kind of knew what to expect, but we were in for a pretty big surprise. And what I mean by surprise is not like we thought we were gonna have a boy, but we had a girl. We thought we were gonna have one, but we had two. No, not that. The surprise was not a good surprise, okay? So we got to the hospital, we checked in, and I uh, got a room, you know, doctor comes and checks uh, things out, and then the anesthesiologist comes in for the epidural. Now, uh, if you haven't been through like the birth process or maybe you're younger, let me just explain what an epidural is. It's like you get this injection in your spine, and I don't mean me, I mean my wife, okay? <laughs> I, was, I was not involved. And uh, the injection happens and then like, I'm not dumb enough to say that all the pain of childbirth goes away. Most of it or something like that, it's, it, the pain is uh, reduced. And then the, you know, the birthing process, I think is just a lot easier. I don't know, I'm in dangerous territory right now talking about this. <laughs> I can just, I'm going to get home for lunch and my wife's going to be looking at me. Anyway, um, the surprise was that uh, the anesthesiologist is checking my wife out and then just kind of says, oh, I cannot, I cannot give you an epidural. And it's like, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> She's like, no, seriously, I, I cannot administer an epidural. And so something you have to know about my wife is that when she was younger, she had severe scoliosis. I mean, it was so bad that when she was in high school, she actually had to have uh, basically an emergency surgery because her spine was uh, so curved that it was starting to affect her internal organs. And so what they did is uh, she had this surgery where they fused her spine, and I'm talking like uh, all the way up here to all the way down, the whole thing, and they took bone chips from her hip and put them in between her vertebrae and fused her spine and then took two titanium rods on either side of her spine. And so the good news is she has perfect posture, always. <laughs> the bad news was that this anesthesiologist essentially said, I can't get a needle through all that. In fact, it's dangerous. Now, those of you who have given birth to children, imagine, put yourself in my wife's place where it's like, all nine months of your pregnancy, you have been expecting, planning on, and hoping for an epidural when you get to the hospital. But now, when you're actually in labor, it's like, sorry, can't do that. It was not a good surprise. And so she was in for a lot more pain and a lot more suffering than either of us were planning on. And uh, the reason I'm telling you this story is that uh, the section of scripture we're going to be looking at today, it's a letter that Paul wrote, and he's going to talk about pain, and he's going to talk about suffering, and actually, he's going to use this metaphor of birth, of giving birth to talk about uh, our experience with pain and suffering. So uh, I got a map for you here just to kind of let you know uh, what this letter is all about. So Paul, uh, he's writing to people in, in Rome, new believers living in the capital of the Roman Empire. We call this the Book of Romans. It's not a book. 
It's a letter that Paul wrote. And, and uh, Paul was in Corinth over here in uh, modern-day Greece. He was ministering there, and he's writing to believers, some of whom he knew personally, in Rome. And one of the things he wants to do in this letter is just talk about our experience as Jesus followers with pain and with suffering. And so this section of his letter where he addresses this, it's chapter 8. That's where we're going to be spending our time. And I just want to share with you verse 18 as we get going here uh, to just kind of give you a taste of what Paul's going to be talking about. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that we will be revealed in us. And something I just want you to notice right out of the gate is Paul talks about our present sufferings. It's, he's essentially saying, yeah, we are in pain. Yes, we are enduring hardship. We are suffering. And I think he was talking about himself and uh, the people that he was serving with and the hardships that they were enduring. He's probably also talking about the pain and the hardship and the suffering that the Roman believers were experiencing. And of course, some of this probably had to do with just persecution because they were Jesus followers, religious persecution. And I think some of it also just has to do with what it's like to live in this world and the, just the hardship and the pain that we endure. And it's just kind of like he's going, yeah, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. You're going to go through hard things, even as Jesus followers. Now, if you've been following with us in this series, you just might be going, well, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that doesn't seem right to me. Because everything that we've been talking about here with the gospel and how it changes everything, how is it that Jesus' followers would experience this kind of pain? You know, this image that Jeff uh, gave us in this series, I think it was week one, this image of the ladder. And the question he asked us was, where do you think God sees you on this ladder? And, you know, depending how you behaved this week and what kind of language you use, you might put yourself higher or lower. But what we've discovered about the gospel is that when you place your faith in Christ and what he accomplished for you on the cross, what happens is this very significant double transfer where my sin is transferred to Christ and is, it died with him, and then Christ's goodness, his holiness, his righteousness, his perfection is then transferred to me so that in Christ, God sees me at the very top of the ladder. We are, in Christ, top of the ladder people. And the question that we're going to be wrestling with, one of them anyways today, is how is it that top of the ladder people go through bottom of the ladder pain. How does that work if the gospel is true? Uh, another uh, image and great language that Jeff gave us last week is just um, what, it, what it's like to be at the top of the ladder. What it's like for us to be children of God, sons and daughters. Well, what does that mean? It means we're infinitely loved, infinitely treasured, and infinitely secure. These are beautiful truths. But again, how is it that top of the ladder people experience bottom of the ladder pain? Because it's possible to be infinitely loved, infinitely treasured, infinitely secure, and to go through economic financial trouble. 
People who are infinitely loved by God sometimes lose their houses. It's possible to be infinitely loved and experience cancer. It is possible to be infinitely treasured by God and to go through infertility or to lose your job. And so again, how is it that top of the ladder people experience bottom rung pain and suffering? These are some of the questions that we're gonna be wrestling with today. And uh, I think this is really important because uh, many of you are in pain right now. Many of you are walking through something that just really hurts or there's someone who's close to you who is suffering. And so the question is, how does the gospel change our experience with pain and suffering? What does the gospel offer us in the face of the pain and the hurt that we experience in this world? And just to kind of tip my hand on where we're headed, uh, Paul already told us a little bit of what the gospel has to say. Same verse, we'll highlight some different words. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There is something so valuable that God is producing in us through suffering that he says it's, it's not even worth comparing what you're going through. Something so good, so valuable that you would just look back on the hardship in your life and just go, it doesn't, doesn't even compare. doesn't even match up. And specifically, I think what it is that the gospel offers us how does the gospel change our experience with pain and suffering? It gives us hope. Hope. And by hope, I don't mean, gee, I hope the Lions win the Super Bowl someday. Not that kind of hope, because that's not very much hope. <laughs> I'm talking about confident expectation in the promises of Christ. I'm talking about the kind of hope that you can bank on. It's like God said it, it's going to happen. Confident expectation, that kind of hope. That's what the gospel offers us in the face of pain and suffering. So what we're going to do as we spend some time with uh, Romans chapter 8 is we're going to discover four reasons that the gospel gives us hope in pain and suffering. And the first one is just this word right here, the word restoration. The gospel offers us hope of restoration. And so as Paul jumps into his uh, discussion about the gospel and about pain and suffering, he really widens the conversation out almost like at a cosmic level because he wants to talk about creation itself. So I'm in verse uh, 19 here of chapter 8. Paul says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. He says, creation is waiting eagerly. And I just picture like my kids on Christmas Eve. They can't sleep. They can't wait. They just want to wake up and for it to be Christmas morning. It's like the same kind of eagerness that creation is waiting for something. And what is it that creation is waiting for? That the children of God, for the children of God to be revealed 
the children of God. That's us as Jesus followers. Creation is waiting for us to be revealed. What is this about? Paul continues on and he says, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Creation has been forced into a state of frustration. Creation doesn't function the way that it was designed to function. It's messed up and it's broken. Have you noticed this? Creation is out of harmony with the creator and it's out of harmony with us as human beings. And why is that? Because someone pushed it into that place of frustration. And that someone, well, that, that was humanity. And we know this from the story of the scriptures. I mean, the very beginning, the book of Genesis, God creates, everything is perfect and in harmony. God's place, he places human beings in the garden to care for and, and oversee and steward creation. And at some point, the first humans said, God, we don't need you. God, we're better off without you. And it broke because sin was introduced, rebellion was introduced, and creation was cursed with the impact of sin. And ever since that point, the consequences have been catastrophic. And you and I, we've seen some of these consequences in the news, even, even in just the last couple of weeks couple of images, and these are, these are hard to look at. The flooding in California. Creation is broken. This is not how God's good planet is supposed to work. Another image, uh, earthquakes took place in Syria and Turkey. I mean, just devastating. I think over 50,000 people died. Earthquakes are not the way that creation is supposed to function. It's out of harmony, it's messed up. One final image here, uh, we just passed the one year mark of the war in Ukraine. It's been going on for over a year now. And just the devastation in that country and the amount of death and destruction, it's unbelievable. War is not supposed to be. This is not how creation was designed to function. It's broken, it's messed up, it's out of harmony. And it's not just these big news stories that we see that just, you know, they hurt, but it's like, how do you deal with that thing on the other side of the world? It's also the stuff that happens close to home. It's when your little girl gets off the bus in tears because some bully said something obnoxious to her. It's the fact that you have to put up filters and boundaries around the internet in your house so your kids don't stumble into something that's gross and terrible. It's even the little things like, by the way, you're gluten-free and now you can't eat anything that tastes good. Creation is broke. It's, a, it's not supposed to be like this. And I guess what I'm saying is that when it comes to pain and it comes to suffering, so much of what we experience in this life is simply a result of the fact that this planet is broken and it's not working the way that it was supposed to work. And creation itself is frustrated and eagerly waiting 
that the children of God would be revealed. And that, that right there is so important. So let's keep reading. Why is creation waiting? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Creation longs to be liberated, free from slavery to corruption and death. You see, there's something so important here that we often miss. And that is that we often think that the cross is just about us. It's just about you and it's just about me and us being saved and brought back into alignment with God. That is true, but it's so much bigger than that. Because the scriptures teach that through the cross, God is reconciling all things to himself. As in the restoration of all things. That's what the cross is all about. And so when Christ returns and we are fully liberated and brought into freedom and glory, so will creation. And we will be restored to, I love this, the glory of the first humans as leaders and stewards over creation on God's behalf, and creation will be returned to that state that it was meant to be in, where it's in harmony with God and harmony with us and as human beings. And all this pain and suffering that goes on will be no more. That's good news. And so what does the gospel have to say about pain and suffering? What, what kind of hope does it offer? It, the hope of restoration is so good. But something that we have to acknowledge is that it's not, just about, it's not just what's out there that needs to be restored. It's not just the weather invading armies, but also right here. Our bodies need to be restored. And so the second reason that the gospel offers us hope is just this word right here. It's the word healing. Our bodies need some help. 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So here's the metaphor I mentioned earlier. Paul talks about creation. It's like in labor, experiencing the pains of childbirth, eagerly expecting this liberation. But it's not just creation that's in pain this way. Verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, there's a lot going on in this, in this verse, so let's just unpack it briefly. Uh, first off, we also are in pain like labor, just like creation. Even though we have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning that sort of we have the down payment of the Holy Spirit, we are eagerly awaiting adoption. Now, this is confusing because so many of the songs that we sing in church are about how we're sons and daughters of God. You know, Jeff has these great phrases, you know, you're a treasured son, you're a cherished daughter. And it's kind of like, I, I, I thought we were already adopted. <laughs> like, I thought we were already children of God. So why does Paul say here that we're eagerly awaiting it? What's going on? Well, there's this helpful tension in the scriptures, helpful as in it's helpful to understand it. And some theologians call it already and not yet. Or you might think of it as now, but not fully. 
And the idea here is that, yes, if you are in Christ, you have been adopted. You are a son. You are a daughter. You already have that, but not fully. You don't have everything that comes with that. Some of that is still in the future. And one aspect that's in the future, Paul mentions right here, the redemption of our bodies. Now, this word redemption is a good word. It's a Bible word. It's an old word. And and literally what it means is to buy back. And I like to think of it in terms of slavery. You buy someone out of slavery and you make them free. You liberate them. That's redemption. And so our bodies need to be liberated from slavery to pain and to sin and to death. And we are awaiting this. Your body needs to be redeemed. And a lot of us are going, yeah, I know. Let me show you a picture to illustrate what I mean. Uh, This is from a couple years ago, Hound State Park. Uh, It's me in the green and my buddy Andrew uh, in the white. And uh, this picture was taken just after we won a beach volleyball tournament, two-on-two men's tournament. And uh, we beat a lot of good teams that day. And uh, listen, beach volleyball is no joke. If you play a beach volleyball tournament, it starts like 8 a.m. and you play all day. If you get to the finals, it's like 7 or 8 at night. And almost every time in the finals, somebody cramps up. I mean, you have to be in tip-top shape. And I'm telling you, I was was a pretty legit volleyball player on the beach. I'm not saying this to brag, but uh, we won that day. It was a good day. Now, um, I haven't won any beach volleyball tournaments recently. Uh, In fact, I haven't played in any beach volleyball tournaments recently. Uh, I've I've been playing beach volleyball for something like 30 years, and uh, eventually my shoulder just broke, you know? And so I had to have surgery for uh, repairing my labrum and rotator cuff. And after that, let's just say the cannon doesn't fire like it used to, you know? And on top of that, this is uh, tough to admit, but my knee hurts. And um, something else that's embarrassing, in fact, I'm just not even going to look at you right now, Um, my hip hurts. And uh, I'm falling apart, okay? (laughs) And uh, my body's breaking down. And if, if you're over 30, you're like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Sometimes I roll out of bed and pull something, right? It's just like our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies need to be redeemed. And even while I say this, I just recognize that like a bum shoulder, it's not fun, but it doesn't compare to what some of you are experiencing. Because some of you suffer from anxiety or depression or both. And some days are okay. And other days are not. Other days you're just paralyzed by your own emotions. And, you know, a bum shoulder, it's it's not fun. But um, some of you are doing your best to live between cancer scans. And right now things are okay, but you just know that that three-month or that six-month scan could come back and it could be really, really bad news. And some of you are caring for a loved one whose memory is deteriorating. And you're just having to come to terms with 
caring for someone that you love very much and just watching slowly all of your precious shared memories slip away. And you're just scared that at some point this person's going to even forget who you are. Some of us are walking through some really difficult stuff. Our bodies break down. Our emotions and our minds betray us. Our bodies need to be liberated. We need to be redeemed. And so what hope does the gospel offer us in the face of pain and suffering? It's the promise of redemption, of liberation. Because of the cross, there is a day coming when anxiety and depression will not plague you anymore. Because of the cross, there is a day coming when cancer will not exist. And there is a day coming when our emotions, our thoughts, our minds will be at harmony with our God and at harmony with ourselves, and we will be free and liberated. That is the hope, the confident expectation that we have because of the gospel. It's good news. But at the same time, I just know that some of you are going, um, that hope is so wonderful, and I'm so grateful that that's our future. But how do I get through today? How do I get through this week with the pain that I'm enduring? And that brings us to the third reason that the gospel offers its hope, and it's this word right here, help. The hope of help. Paul writes, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This word weakness is so important to understand right here. Weakness means you don't have the strength. Weakness means you can't do it. Weakness means I can't handle this. Weakness means I can't do this. That's what it means to be weak. And wait a second. (laughs) Doesn't the Bible say something about God will never give you more than you can handle? Doesn't the Bible say that? No, it doesn't. (laughs) That's not in the scriptures. I've looked. The truth is, the truth is that there is a whole lot that we experience in life that is well beyond our ability to handle. But there is nothing that we experience in life that is beyond God's ability to handle. Friends, you will have moments, you will have seasons of weakness where you just go, I can't do this. But the good news is the Spirit helps us in weakness. You see, the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, is like one of the most underrated aspects of the gospel. (laughs) Just underrated, because what happens is we place our faith in Christ, and the scriptures teach us that at that moment, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, his very presence inside of us. And I'm telling you, a lot of the time, we just sort of forget this, and we underplay it, but the Spirit is God with you, helping you in your weakness. There's two phrases I want you to remember about the Spirit, the impact of the Spirit in your life. No matter what you are going through, you are not alone. 
Because the very presence of God is with you. Of course, in suffering, you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're far from God. But read through the scriptural story over and over again. You see God moving toward people in pain. You might feel like God is distant, but the, distant, but the truth is that God is never closer than in those times when you are in pain. So you are not alone because of the Spirit. And secondly, it's not all on you. You might be weak, but he is not. Think about this. The infinite resources of the creator at work in you. I mean, we're talking about some serious firepower in the fight. The creator with you, working, helping you in your weakness. And and I find uh, the ways that the spirit helps us to be so interesting I mean, you've probably had this experience if, if you've been around uh, our church for a while. You, you show up to church some weekend, you're going through some stuff, you're sitting in the row, and Pastor Jeff is preaching, and you're just like looking around because it's like, does he have access to the security cameras in my house or what? Because he's speaking, it feels like he's speaking right into your life. Now, I have news for you. Jeff is smart. He's not that smart. It's the Spirit of God helping you. If you're in Lifeline, you may have had this experience. You're going through some stuff, all of a sudden your small group leader texts you, and it's like just what you needed on that day. Or you're in a small group with couples or or guys or something, you show up to your group and you're just sitting there talking and somebody says something, the, the encouraging word, the challenging word that you needed in that moment, I have news for you, that guy in your small group is not that awesome. But the Spirit is. It's the Spirit of God at work in you, helping you. The infinite resources of the Creator, helping you in your weakness. And there's, there's one other way that the Spirit helps us that I want, you, I want you to see in Paul's writing here. And this is so powerful and it's so emotionally moving. Look at this. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. It's like when you don't even know what to pray, the Spirit of God intercedes for you, advocates for you, like prays for you. Have you ever been so emotionally messed up that you didn't even know how to pray? Have you ever been so overwhelmed that you couldn't even form thoughts to put together prayers? Have you ever been so angry that you didn't want to pray? It's in those dark moments, that dark emotional space that the scriptures teach us that the spirit intercedes for us, goes to God for us when we don't have the words. That is the help that the spirit offers. And I think it's just a perfect picture of what the gospel is all about. Because the gospel is God entering into our pain and suffering, and suffering with us and suffering for us to lead us out, 
That's a picture of the gospel, and that's what I see the Spirit of God doing here in this passage. It's real help in our pain and in our suffering. That's how the gospel changes our experience with pain and suffering. Now, as we turn the corner, head into this fourth way that the gospel offers us hope, I just got to tell you, this, this fourth way is, um, well, not all of us will experience this one. I mean, the other three, if you are a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to see the, rest, the restoration of all things. Your, your body will be redeemed. You will experience healing. And whether you know it or not, the Spirit is helping you. But this last one, you might not experience this one because it requires something from us. And so with that in mind, here's the fourth uh, word I want to share with you. It's transformation. What hope does the gospel offer? The hope of transformation. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for the good of those that he loves according to his purpose. Now, uh, if you've been around church for a while, you're You've probably heard this verse before. It's pretty famous. I mean, you hear athletes and influencers quoting this verse. And uh, as you initially read it, it's kind of like, okay, so God is at work behind the scenes, like making things go my way, working so that I catch the breaks, so that I get the job, so that I ace the test, so that I score the raise. I mean, God is just at work behind the scenes, making things go my way. That's what this verse sounds like. But I hate to be the bad guy, but I don't think that's what this verse means. And the reason is the context of what Paul is talking about. What's he talking about in in this section of his letter? Pain, suffering, hardship. I think what Paul is saying is that in the pain, in the suffering that you are going through, God is at work for your good and according to his purpose. That's what's going on in here. And so what is the good, though? What is the purpose that he wants to see happen in our pain and suffering? Well, sometimes it's helpful to just read the next verse. So, for those God foreknew, those that he knew in advance, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his son. To be conformed to to the likeness of Jesus. To look and to sound and to feel more like Jesus. That is the good that God wants to see happen. That's what he's working for in us through pain and through suffering. It's an opportunity to be transformed, to be more like Jesus. That through the, the hurt that I'm experiencing right now, that I might begin to respond to situations and people and the news and my own emotions more and more like Jesus. And something I don't particularly like about this is that it appears that there's something that God is more interested in than my comfort. (laughs) And that is, he wants me to look like Jesus. He wants me to be conformed, to be transformed into the image of his son. So, suffering, pain, is a unique opportunity to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. But something that you already know, 
is that while pain always transforms a person, it's not always a good transformation. Have you seen this? Somebody in your life that pain and suffering transformed, but it wasn't good. The transformation was ugly. It was bitter. It was jaded. It was selfish. Yes, suffering always transforms, but not always in the direction of Christ. It doesn't always lead to us being shaped into his image. And so here's the deal. In the pain that you are experiencing, or the pain that you will experience, you will have a choice. And the choice is this. Will you move toward God, or will you move away from him? Will you step toward your creator and open your hands and your heart and say, God, I don't like this, but what is it that you want to produce in me? Shape me. Or, and this is what most of us automatically do, will you step away? Because I don't know about you, but my natural response is, why me? Why not them? God, I thought that you loved me. God, I've been trying to follow you, and this is what I get. That's our natural response. And the truth is, some of you are going through something hard, and you're taking the first steps toward running away from him. Or perhaps you're already moving. It's a choice. Will you step toward him, or will you step away? And my prayer for you is that you would trust him. Because our God is the God who gave his life away for you to express his love for you. You can trust him. If he suffered for you, you can trust him in your pain and in your suffering. So let's wrap up where we started. I'm in the car, driving my wife to the hospital. She's about to, she's in labor. She's about to give birth. By the way, you can't have an epidural. And uh, a lot more pain, a lot more suffering than we were anticipating. But something that you know, if you've been through this, is that the pain doesn't last forever. Because there comes a point where they hand you your little baby. And, uh, well, joy begins to replace the pain and the suffering. And I just wonder... If I would have said to my wife, Katie, let's compare. <laughs> the level of pain you were just going through, how does that compare to the level of joy that you're now experiencing? I would never say this, but imagine that I did. I wonder how she would have responded. And it takes us back to the, ver the very first verse that we looked at where Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Friends, I know that some of you are in, in pain, and some of you are hurting, and some of you truly are suffering. The hope of the gospel is that this will not last forever. There is a day coming when all things will be restored, where you will be healed and restored and liberated. 
And even now, in the pain, he is at work. You are not alone. It's not all on you. And this is an opportunity to be transformed, to look more like his son. I pray that you move toward him. Because even in something as difficult as pain and suffering, my friends, the gospel changes everything. And so, Heavenly Father, as we close our time, I just, I just bring before you brothers and sisters who are hurting. And God, you know what's going on in their lives. You know the, the pain that they are carrying. God, would you care for them? God, would you bring brothers and sisters in Christ into their life to support them, to encourage them? God, would they feel your presence? And God, would you give us the faith to trust your promises that we would have confident expectation in the hope that you have offered us? God, we're so grateful for the cross so grateful for your gospel that changes everything. God, help us to believe it. And so we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. Good to open the scriptures with you. I look forward to the next couple weeks as well. We'll see you next time.